1: Now and I'm kind of nervous. All right, well, while Derek tries to get himself down, WGR Sports Radio 550 presents, if he can, get there he goes, we're, we're all right. Sports Talk Saturday. If I got injured on the air, and everyone heard it, is that a good case? <laughs> probably the easiest one, and I feel like it'd probably be the first time it ever happened here. We also heard it be my own fault, so, now. Well, Yeah, so yeah, no, it actually wouldn't even be cut and dry at all. It'd just be funny. On WGR. It'd be a great Open. Sports Radio 550. Welcome in another Sports Talk Saturday. Derek Kramer here with you today as, well, things could have been better. I'm not going to go standing on a chair about it, but things could have been better the last time we've watched each of these teams and the Bills and the Sabres. Both of them losing their opening games. Uh, or their last games, not opening games for the Sabres was opening, but the Sabres dropping their opener at home against the Rangers and, um, and the bills dropping a game that really should have been won, but ultimately was insult added to lots of injury in London. And this is one of the things where you just, you remember the shirt that, uh, that, that, 26 shirts had of the Buffalo, and it, it mocks the this is fine. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Like, <clears throat> it's yes, the injuries to Milano, Trey White, Daquan Jones devastate a defense, and I don't know how seriously they can be taken as a Super Bowl contender for the rest of the year. That said, the fire is going on around me, and I'm going to go ahead and grab my mug and go, this is fine. Our teams are fine. The Sabres get bamboozled by the 1-3-1, which is boring hockey, and I will get into my diatribe about that later. I'm sure this will cause a rage moment. But teams are going to roll that out more if, A, they're not a good coach, B, value defense and security over fun, or C... Maybe that's just an adjustment that's going to be made against the Sabres. If you want to shut down the fast team that doesn't adjust to the 1-3-1, one, one, just implement it. Get yourself a lead, and you can coast to victory. Maybe this allows for the chance to see what they're really made of, see what Coach Don Granado is made of, and see what this young core is made of because of the fact that they are going to have to adjust and fight it. Because the 1-3-1 is not going to go away. It's not going to be something that coaches suddenly don't value. Because the unfortunate part about such a boring hockey system is that it wins games. And the Bills, back to football, like, Yeah, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to bounce between these two teams. Really, it becomes another matter of consistency on offense. But what better way to get right over the next two weeks for the Buffalo Bills than facing the New York Giants and the New England Patriots? Two of the worst teams in football. Two teams that don't know what offense is. Two teams that don't know that you're allowed to score more than 17 points on a scoreboard. That's a great way to get right. And it's a great way for a batter defense to try to recover and get new players acclimated to within their new roles. Puna Ford is going to be active more often. There's going to be a heavier snap count for Tim Settle. There's going to be a heavier snap count for Jordan Phillips. Not that those two couldn't do it. It's just that's how the rotation is going to have to work now. Dorian Williams is going to have to be this... New linchpin. There's going to be two young linebackers with not a lot of experience starting. What better way to get these guys ready to go than facing the hapless Giants and the somehow worse than last year's offense of the Patriots? Yeah, Mac Jones threw for 300 yards in Week 1. What have they done since? (laughs) Mac Jones has been benched twice for Bailey Zappi. The Bills aren't even going to see Daniel Jones, which honestly might be worse for the Bills because you have to go ahead and look at this and go, I have to cheer against Tyrod Taylor now. Like the minute that that whistle blows and the opening kickoff happens, I have to hope for the worst for you at this point, uh, football wise. Um, Statistically, I have to hope for the worst now for Tyrod Taylor. And I have nothing but love for my drought-breaking quarterback. So, but you're facing two very hapless offenses. It's, it's just going to be one of those things. I don't know why we have to worry about the Bills yet. This is a good chance for them to get right. There's two very bad teams. This is two very poor offenses, and it's going to be two teams that are going to be fighting for the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Because when do you see either of these two teams figuring something out? You don't. This is the opportunity for the Bills to get right. This is an opportunity for their defense to stop being not not stop, but like this is a chance for a a reeling defense to help figure some things out. This is a chance for them to really find their way and get these other players into a new swing of things. It could be a chance for Jamarcus Ingram to start stealing snaps away from Kyrie Elam. It could be a chance for Elam to get some confidence back. There's a lot at play that this defense is going to be question marks but it is not the defense that is going to tell the story of what this Bills team does for the rest of this season. It goes back to the offense. Because as Joe DiBiase had said on Monday morning, the Bills defense should be 5-0. and And I don't disagree with this. I think that it just, it hurts that such a talented unit suffered these blows Almost similar to last year. And here we are. The offense still has to be the one with the bigger microscope. You built this team. You paid this quarterback this money. And you got his preference of offensive coordinator. Every time that I see... Every time that I see the Lions tight end Laporta go up the seam and do heavy damage either across the middle or just attacking vertically, I feel like a Bills fan cries. It's just like a single solitary tear coming down one Bills fan's eye every time that Sam Laporta is up the seam. Because our tight ends are not even getting like four yards per route at this point, and it's getting to like, what, 6.8 or 6.9 for each of those tight ends for the yards per reception utilize Kincaid more attacking vertically utilize Knox the way he was used in 2020 in 2021 where the guy was just suddenly becoming someone that you had to pay you paid Knox you drafted Kincaid if you're going to use the 12 personnel use it actually attack with these weapons Because once again, this is an offense that if that if Allen and Diggs aren't cooking, you're not going to get anywhere. The Bills offense still needs to become something more consistent because they're supposed to be one of the elite units in the National Football League. What happened to the defense is unfortunate. They're going to have to keep on. But in order to make their job easier, Bills need their offense, which puts up these gaudy numbers, to actually be consistent where it matters. And I'm, and I'm getting a little irritated with how good their point differential is at this point. Because last week I talked about it, and I was kind of baffled about how. They don't have a number one seed ever. They've not gotten to a Super Bowl. They look like one of the most dominant teams. And now we see why. It's all kind of like... I don't want to say a lie, but it's also not the full truth about this team. The consistency when it matters is where they're lacking. The offense, in particular, needs to be able to be consistent in its approach because for every game that for every two or three games that you see them dominate a Miami defense or a Washington defense that is far worse than it should be. Maybe at this point you just need a little bit more consistency from the parts outside of Allen and Diggs.
2: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a
0: fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Who knows what you get? But at the same time, you need more. You deserve to ask for more and a little bit more consistency. Because if you don't get it, then this team is going to have another early exit in January. I don't make the rules. That's how it is. If they don't get what they need, consistency from this offense, and consistency from players that aren't Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, it will not matter. It will not matter again. And then people can go ahead and create... More of those ridiculous storylines about how Stefan Diggs doesn't like playing on the Bills. No, he's un- he's just not happy that he's losing. You know who does that? Literally anybody. Love that the latest one was Shannon Sharp saying the same thing that everyone had been saying all throughout the offseason. Same thing. Repeating the same storylines that everyone's debunked at this point. To so the point where Josh Allen, who likes to keep things more close to the vest, publicly and through the media finally says something and says, no, I'm, I'm tired of this. Welcome to the party, Josh. I've been there all off season, but unless the bills actually get somewhere in January, we're going to keep hearing the annoying fake storyline. And that's the part that's going to get the most irritating. We'll try to break down a little bit of the inconsistencies with this offense. We'll try to break things down around the league. Why? Because I've got Mark Schofield coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday. Derek Kramer here with you on a rainy day, but it shouldn't be totally rainy. Let's have some fun throughout the weekend here. You're listening to WGR. Welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday here. Derek Kramer and now joined with me, not just someone that's going to be on the Western Hotline, but someone to my left ish. Um, yeah, my left ish. I'm looking at him, but it's he's like straight, still, across table, straight across. Straight kind across, of. but like, if I, if I turn to the microphone, it's left ish. If I turn myself in a chair, now I'm straight across from it. It's TJ Luckman. What's up, everybody? I wish we had like an applause little thingy that we can play for that one. And, it's okay. Uh, no applause is necessary. Yeah, no, no applause is necessary. TJ will. It's a thankless job to have to work with me, and um. But somebody's got to do I it. I agreed
0: to it, so it, it's it's my own fault.
1: No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, TJ is lucky enough that he wasn't here a couple weeks ago when we had to try like Buffalo Pepsi or anything ridiculously dumb like that. So I was very thankful for that, by the way. Yes. No, that was um. <laughs> wizard arrives exactly when he is asked to like that that, that's what this is with tj here uh to join us here for the rest of the show but also joining us now on the western hotline is one of my favorite people to talk to and i'm a little upset that that it's been a long time but i've got mark Schofield now joining us here on sports talk saturday mark it's derek it's tj how are you now
2: i'm doing well my friend always great to be with you it has been too long tj great to have you here as well excited to talk a little football and i'm i'm really got my fingers crossed that you're not going to ask me a single question about the new England patriots because that would make my saturday morning a little bit better if you just avoid that topic altogether
1: mark you've been gracious to me for years about the dominance of the patriots so i will spare you this time around also because it's not patriots week um Also perfect timing. Like, I don't have to ask you questions about the Patriots because the Bills aren't playing them yet. Um, So we'll spare you this one.
2: Well, I appreciate that because (laughs) there's not a lot of fun stuff to be said about the New England Patriots right now. Unless, of course, you're a Bills fan, in which case you'd love me to talk about the Patriots a little bit longer. I get it.
1: (laughs) Well, we're not going to worry about that, but we are going to focus a little bit with the Bills here. Um, A loss in London that was a little more devastating than the scoreboard indicates, obviously. The defense... Suffering three major blows within two weeks of having Tredavious White, Matt Milano, and Daquan Jones all knocked out of the lineup and taking what was looking like a dominant unit and making them a little less formidable.
2: Yeah, and I think for me, that's kind of the takeaway, the big picture takeaway from that loss in London is just the injuries on the defensive side of the ball now. Because, like you said, this was a unit that looked like it was going to be a very strong defense. It looked like it was going to do the things that we need to see from defenses in the NFL this year to be successful, pressure the passer, you know, get a stop, get a short field here or there, you know, just give the offense a little bit of a helping hand. I mean, it's not the 1980s. You're not going to be pitching shutouts left and right, unless you're playing the Patriots, of course. But with those three injuries, it's going to be a lot tougher to do those kinds of things for this unit. Now, we also saw – look – when they can get clicking, that offense can score in a hurry. You saw that in the four-play touchdown drive, you know, 75 yards and, and almost in the blink of an eye, but it was a case of too little too late. The question is going to be obviously going forward, can this offense now share the share the load, you know, take on that burden of having a score, having a win when you've got to put up points because the defense, as we've said, is banged up. That's going to be a big story to watch.
1: And one of the more fascinating things about the Bills, not just this year, but over the course of several seasons, has been how their point differential doesn't really paint the actual picture of this team sometimes, and the fact that they end up either only losing close games or just blowing poor opponents out of the water, it's more or less now becoming in this story of a Bills team that doesn't really know when to turn it on when it's necessary.
2: Yeah, that has been an interesting thing to track because, you know, as you've mentioned, it's a lot of close games and then blowing out sort of, you know, weaker opponents. You know, is there an issue of, okay, you know, getting things going and get, turn it on, like you said, when you need to, being consistent in your performances from week to week? You know, and that's a big part of being a successful football team is having the ability to, what regardless of opponent, take care of business, go out there and put in the kind of performance on both sides of the ball, particularly the offensive side of the ball. It doesn't matter who you play and what kind of defense you're playing. You're finishing drives with seven. You're not turning the football over. I mean, you think back to week one when Rodgers goes down, everybody's immediately thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, Bill's win going away. And you get the turnovers and suddenly you find yourself losing a game that you really should have won. Joe you know, and finding that consistency, I think, is going to be another big story for this team. Can they, you know, down the stretch as you get into November and December when, you know, games start to matter a little bit more, even though they all count the same? You know, you got that, you know, playoff run kind of push when you need to be playing your best football near the end of the season. Can they turn in that consistency week to week?
1: Mark Schofield of SB Nation joining us on the West her Hotline. Mark, while there needs to be some consistency issues figured out on the offense, it is looking like another just ho-hum kind of season for Josh Allen and for Stefan Diggs, who are once again amongst the leaders in yards, production, and everything else of the sort. But it's also turning into a different bit of a story where the offensive line has become one of the Bills' um, better things within this offense.
2: Yeah, and that was a question coming into the offseason, right? You know, uh, one of my favorite parts about being at the combine is seeing what beat reporters stand in front of what podiums, because that's I think one of the biggest windows into oh what is, what is the team going to do this off season. And interestingly enough, when I saw a lot of Patriots beat reporters in front of say C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, it got me thinking. But every beat reporter, every Bills reporter I saw was in front of offensive linemen. You know, because that that was a position that. It was obvious the Bills wanted to improve this offseason. And the fact that that unit is, as you said, performing the way it is, that's going to be a big down the stretch as well. Because you start thinking about the different ways teams can win games and the different things that teams can sort of hang their hat on when it gets to be third quarter, fourth quarter, third down late. You think about a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, and one of the things that they can sort of hang their hat on when – you know, th- things get tough in a close game is they got perhaps the best offensive line in football, the best position group in football, that offensive line. It's been so good during their recent success. That's a good thing to have. But if the bills have that ability now with that offensive line to, you know, understand that when it's third and seven, Allen's going to be protected. He's going to have time when it's, you know, a situation where you need a big play, you're going to be able to get it blocked up. That's huge for a team to have. There are a lot of teams that would love to have that kind of stability that kind of success, that ability to lead into something hand their hat on when it's third and seven late. And so that's going to be big for this team, too, especially if, you know, it's a situation where because of the injuries on the defensive side of the ball, you need to win games with your offense. That's a big thing to have.
0: Now, Mark, I want to shift over to the Giants here a little bit. The Bills are playing uh, against a defensive unit. Aziz Ojolari is going to be out this Sunday. What are the Bills' keys on offense against this Giants defense that they can be successful with?
2: I mean, I think big picture-wise, before diving into sort of film-wise, and nitty-gritty kind of stuff, just take care of the football. I mean, this is a game where you're going up against a team in the Giants that, you know, I've written this earlier this season, kind of is now getting punished for being a season early. I mean, last year, expectations were not high. Joe Shane, their general manager, was coming in and saying, look, we had a number of roster decisions that we needed to make from a a standpoint of – We had to create some cap space. We were up against it from a financial standpoint. And then they turn around and make this run to the playoffs. And it was fantastic. It was great. They're kind of a year ahead of schedule, but now they're paying the price for it because you had to make some decisions like the Daniel Jones contract. Now you're playing a tougher schedule. Now you're not going to sneak up on teams and you're seeing the results of it right now. They're banged up. Jones is out. So you're going to get an old friend across the field and Tyrod Taylor Take care of the football. I mean, I think that is a big picture thing. In terms of going up against this defense specifically, I think this is a game where you can have some success running the football a little bit. I think because they're a little bit banned up, I think you're going to have time for Josh Allen. Obviously, they have some players that can still rush the passer, but with the success of your offensive line, you can do some things schematically to sort of neutralize the threats there get things blocked up from a protection standpoint and have success throwing and particularly throwing downfield. I think they can have some success pushing the ball downfield in the vertical passing game. So I think this is an opportunity for the Bills to have a good performance. Now it's, you know, obviously you have to go do it. You know, nothing's easy in the NFL, but I think this is an opportunity for the Bills to have a very good game against a team that is kind of paying the price for being a year early with their success last season.
1: Mark, about the Giants, uh, focusing a little bit more there and you saying, you know, being punished for the success of being a year early. Daniel Jones, uh, how do I put this nicely, might be one of the best thieves of our time or con men of our time um, with a contract that looked a little bit rich for his abilities. And now statistically, it's been awful. You'll look at how he's played and it hasn't been good. Do you think maybe there's a little bit of a, a chance of stability here for him to sit out um, and possibly avoid the best pass rush in the National Football League right now? The Bills lead it with 21 sacks, but more importantly, be able to actually like take a seat, really try to learn a little bit more, um, almost akin to like when Josh Allen had to go out with injury?
2: I mean... Th- possibly, but I mean, we're not talking about a rookie quarterback or a second year quarterback. He's been in the league for a while now. I mean, I generally think that there are instances where a younger quarterback has to sit down due to injury or, you know, poor play. And it's an opportunity for them to sort of get that reset, to take a step back, get a breather, start seeing things again from a different perspective and go, Oh yeah. Okay. Now, now I get it. When we're in this protection scheme, when we're trying to do this against this coverage, this is what I should be doing. I, I think there are moments in the young quarterback's career where you can benefit from that. But, I mean, Daniel Jones is a little bit more advanced than that at this point. You're expecting him to be able to see pressures. You're expecting him to be able to feel pressure better. And that's been a problem for him this year. And when you're trying to, like, struggle, with, when you're struggling with that behind an offensive line that is struggling, it's not the very best combination. Now, I think there is a benefit in which he'll get to avoid this Buffalo pass rush, which obviously has been good, as you've said, so he'll benefit from not having to go against that unit because of the struggles up front that they have because of his inconsistency in seeing and feeling and reacting to pressures this season. But the big picture idea of, oh, you know, this is a changement to reset. He shouldn't need that at this point in his career. And I, I think that's the, the bigger picture issue that I have with Jones at this point is, you know, we're well into his career. We're past the idea of a second year jump, a third year leap and all of that stuff. He should be farther along with these issues than he is right now. Now, last year was great. You know, a lot of it was designed runs, QB Reed. You know, I've seen people on social media saying, look, we gave, you know, Brian Dable coach of the year honors and things like that, because he ran zone Reed with Daniel Jones. Like how hard was that to do? Had a 120 designed Russian attempts as a quarterback last year, career high. He should be farther along than he is right now. And, you know, maybe it does work out this way. Maybe it does give him a chance to catch his breath, relax, see some things better. And maybe he does have a little second half of the season jump as a result. But we should be beyond this point with him, right?
1: You would think. and um, 100%. But again, it's one of those things where you look at it, and part of how I let it in was, you know, possibly being one of the best con men I've seen in a while. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. the Giants, though, looking like one of these teams that's going to be fighting for the caleb williams sweepstakes or the drake may consolation prize and a couple of other struggling offenses along that way i won't mention one team that is in that race all of a sudden but uh another one that has caught everyone's attention and even transcended leagues uh the pittsburgh steelers uh we got fire canada chance from ppg in the nhl when the penguins were playing the other night so what is up with just how bad and how fascinatingly bad the Pittsburgh Steelers are offensively?
2: I can't make sense of it. And <laughs> I, I actually pointed this out on Twitter asked, like last week or so. You know, I had Steelers fans sending me clips, begging me for help. Like, what are they trying to do with this play? And, you know, you start looking at specific plays from a route concept standpoint, from a protection standpoint. And it just all feels just disjointed. You know, you study this offense on film, and it's, you know, I've described it as sort of a high school style offense. Like, you know, you've got one or two routes, you've got base protection schemes. It seems like it's a pretty easy offense for an opposing defensive coordinator to game plan for. Now they they find ways to win. They find ways to win ugly. That defense is certainly going to keep them in games. And I think the best description I've heard for the Steelers, my buddy J.P. Acosta over at SB Nation last week when we were doing our weekly you know, Monday podcast recapping all the games, he said, look, the Steelers are who we thought the Patriots were going to be. You know, we thought the Patriots were going to be a good defense that kept them in games and their offense would find ways to win. And that's kind of where I think the Steelers are. I think that's a great description for them because the offense is disjointed, doesn't seem to make sense at times. It doesn't seem like they're making the best use of the players that they have at their disposal, like Pickens and others. But that defense is good enough that when you can get some drops or you can force some turnovers or you can do some things on the defensive side of the ball to keep your offense in games, they might find a way to somehow win. And perhaps, look, everybody saw the clip of Canada on the touchdown where it seemed like he didn't know what was going on. Maybe he almost win at his expense, you could say.
0: That's, that's the, that was the face of a man who did not call the play that won that right. game. Right.
2: That's exactly <laughs> what it was, right? He was like, I did not call that, but I guess it worked, so I should be happy, but what? Yeah.
0: It, it, Amazing
2: it, it clip. Disjointed from the booth on down.
1: Oh, man, yeah. The Steelers, again, they're just this – it's a fascinating thing of just how bad that offense has been, not just this year but last year, where obviously you're starting to hear those chants and – Yeah, I have my gripes with Ken Dorsey sometimes in terms of consistency, but we're not at cheering or chanting to fire the offensive coordinator at hockey games, so it is not that bad. That said, I mean, oh, sorry, Mark.
2: No, I mean, it's just for many teams, for any fan bases, the offensive coordinator is the you know the the person that people point to, and it's. It's rare that you find, and then there are certainly some, you know, Ben Johnson, for example, in Detroit that, you know, fan bases love right now. But I always warn people, look, sometimes it could get worse. You know, maybe that's not the case with the Steelers, but sometimes it could get worse.
1: Speaking of things that could get worse, um, the Denver Broncos. Uh, another coordinator that you have to wonder at some point, how does he still have a job? But then Thursday night kind of proved it. Vance Joseph goes and slows down the Kansas city chiefs a little bit, but Kansas city is almost seeming like an offense that is not themselves lately.
2: Yeah. they, And you almost wonder if they were just trying some stuff out. I mean, you've got laterals from Kelsey They, they were fake field goal touch push, push kind of play where you've got your holder slash punter is one of the pushers, which you know, maybe have him sneak it and have the two tight ends. I mean, it was like, look, we're going up against a historically bad defense. So let's just empty the drafts, right? If you've had a play idea, let's just get it out on film, see if it works. Uh, Because that is a historically bad defense. And, you know, you wonder if they actually did some stuff that slowed them down or was more Kansas City shooting themselves in the foot. I I think the interesting thing from the Chiefs' perspective is – you know, I thought coming into this season you were gonna see them two tight ends, three tight ends, and they've been, you know, one of the most efficient units with two tight ends on the field. I think they were coming into this week sixth and overall EPA using twelve personnel. You know, because the question about the Chiefs coming in was where are they gonna get the receiver production, who their wide receiver is gonna be. But last year they were so explosive out of three tight ends and two tight end sets. They've been efficient with twelve personnel this year. They're gonna lean into that more as we get down the stretch here and into towards the postseason, But I, I look at Thursday and I think it was, look, we're going up against a bad defense. Let's try some different things. Let's, you know, see, you know, feel our, th- feel some things out a little bit. I think Kansas city is going to be fine. Denver's obviously a mess. You know, they're tied to Russell Wilson. The finances are what they are. Our good buddy, uh, a good buddy, um, Mr. Matt Warren wrote a great piece at SB Nation yesterday about the financials and how bad they are and how they can't really do anything with respect to Russell Wilson's contract. They can't get out from under that anytime soon. Historically bad defense, quarterback that's playing pretty poorly the are tied to. It's not a great situation in Denver.
0: Mark, I want to shift over to the West and the NFC, and I have just been racking my brain wondering how anybody's gonna be Kyle Shanahan, Brock Purdy, and the San Francisco 49ers. They are blowing charts out of the water right now through five weeks. They are a juggernaut. What is what is it that makes Purdy and Shanahan, that, mar- that, that marriage between him and uh, head coach and quarterback, that makes them so successful?
2: Yeah, it, it's a great question. And many people have sort of termed it as Shanahan's got that extension of himself on the field and Purdy, you know, he does great things schematically and he's got so many talented skill players at his disposal that, you know, one week it's McCaffrey, one week it's IU, one week it's Tittle, one week it's Debo. They build in concepts off of their foundational concepts that stress defenses in so many different ways. You might see them run the same play three times, but it's three different plays because of the way they move pieces around. Sometimes it's McCaffrey in the slot and Debo in the backfield. Sometimes it's McCaffrey in the backfield and Debo in the slot. Sometimes it's Kittle in the backfield or Kyle Juszczyk, and they just they can beat you so many different ways. Run in some foundational stuff that it still looks different, but the jump has been Purdy, and I know Purdy has been a huge talking point this entire season. But I either mean, you look at the game he had the other night against Dallas. You look at the game he had in week one against Pittsburgh where the Steelers really did some creative things to get some free runners at him from a pressure standpoint, to get players in throwing lanes from a coverage standpoint. But Purdy was ahead of it all in his mind. You know, there was a play where he wants to throw a slant to, I I believe it was Ayuk, on the right side of the field, but C.J. Watt bluffs a pass rush and drops underneath the slant. You know, they've got that play taken away. I think Purdy last year would have thrown it and throw the pick, but instead he sees it, comes off, It goes backside to McCaffrey on a check down, and it's a big play. That Fitzpatrick, if Micah Fitzpatrick free rush on a corner blitz, he spins away from it and makes a throw. He's taken a little bit of a step on not just running the offense, but expanding it, and so I think that's the critical part to what they're doing this year. Last year it was paint-by-numbers quarterback. I've heard people call him as an MPC QB. But this year, he's sort of kicked it up a notch. He's adding some extra stuff to it that's gone beyond just the bare bones of the offensive design that that Shanahan is calling. And so I think that's what's making this team dangerous right now. As far as what can stop them, you know, you start thinking about teams they might see down the road in the playoffs. It's hard to say that Dallas could. That just looks like a really bad matchup for them from the Cowboys' perspective. Philadelphia still certainly could because of the things that they can do on offense, because of what they can do on defense. I think that looks like it's going to be an NFC title game. Obviously, the dark dark horse is Detroit. I think Detroit's got a style of play and what they do defensively, what they do on offense as well, that could give San Francisco some trouble. But right now, the Niners look like, because of what we're seeing from Purdy and the different ways they can beat you, they look like the class of the NFC.
1: Mark, I would be remiss... If I didn't ask you about the upcoming quarterback class, this is how we got into plenty of conversations over the years. It's how it all started. So, you know, I got to circle it back this way because this is looking like a very hyped up quarterback class, a lot more hyped up than say the past several seasons. Even Uh, you've got Caleb Williams, you got Drake may, there's plenty of real prestige coming in for this quarterback class and a lot of bad teams that could use some answers under center
2: yeah and this is going to be a fascinating debate I mean I I I was saying yesterday at the SB Nation Slack channel you know there's a conversation about how Caleb Williams would have gone ahead of you know Burrow you know would have gone ahead of you know Bryce Young and I was like, we got 195 days until the draft, friend. So it's going to be a bumpy ride and, until we get to the end of April. But it does look like it's going to be a very good quarterback class. Now, you mentioned the two at the top Williams, May. Most people have Williams one. Some people have May one. They're both very good. They're both very talented. But it doesn't end there. And I think later today, we get Oregon and Washington, which last year was a tremendous game. You know, one of my favorite games from last year's college football season. The two quarterbacks we're going to see in that game, Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., are both extremely talented. Nix looks nothing like the quarterback he was when he was at Auburn. He's taken a huge step forward the past couple of seasons. Michael Penix Jr. has an electric arm, you know, athletic as well. Those two quarterbacks are in the sort of mix for that QB3 discussion. Quinn Ulysses has had a leap of his own. You know, they lost last night. I don't know what his plans are, but Shadur Sanders is a very talented quarterback as well. He can make some throws that, you know, you often don't see quarterbacks making or even trying. He's been fun to watch as well. Again, I don't know what his plans are. I would imagine he probably goes back for another year because Colorado is, again, a team that's sort of ahead of schedule. They won and been more competitive than people probably thought they were going to be because of the turnover at Colorado. But next year they could be dynamic it's a fun quarterback class. Now, there's a long way to go, but it's it's a talented group. We're going to have three, four, I think, in the first round, maybe more. Who knows? Um, but it's a very, very good – shape it up to be a very good quarterback class.
1: Mark, thank you, as always, for uh, taking your time to be able to talk with us. It's been a long time coming. Um, so th- I'm personally very happy that I've been able to talk to you again. And you know this next part. Tell the people where to find your work if they are under a rock for some reason and not following you already.
2: Well, Derek, it has been too long. It was great to catch up with you and chat some ball. TJ, fantastic to chat with you today. Uh, Mark Schofield on X, Twitter, the Bird app, whatever we're calling it these days, Um uh, uh, You can find all the great work over there. Thanks so much, friends. Have a fantastic Saturday. Enjoy the games this weekend.
1: Mark, you know we will, and we hope for the same for you. And um, Hopefully... I. I'm conflicted. I want you to feel better about your football team, but at the same time, I very much 20 years of me says I don't, but as a friend, I, mean, I hope that it gets easier. I
2: mean, yeah, I <laughs> hope for me that it gets easier. Don't, don't, don't hope for me that it gets better. Or good. Or anything. just hope that it gets easier. Yes. However form that takes. How
1: about that? <laughs> there we go. Hopefully dealing with them and that uh, offensive ineptitude, it gets easier. I mean, we have 20 years of practice. If you need to ask us questions about how to cope with it, uh, we've got the cope. So we can hey, help you out.
2: Season started, so there we go.
1: There you go. Perfect. Exactly. Mark, enjoy your weekend.
2: Thanks so much, friends. Have a good one.
1: Mark, too, Mark. Schofield, SP Nation, joining us there on the West Her Hotline. Well, speaking of hockey, that's a nice way to tease the next segment. Um, I was very salty about dealing with the one three one, and I'm going to address that salt mine in the next segment why is it so annoying why do i want to create a time machine to fix the trap from the 90s and what can the sabers do about it to make sure that if they do have to keep facing it how can they adjust we'll have that plenty more bills sabers whatever you want 803-0550, because now it is your turn to join us here on wgr Welcome back, Sports Talk Saturday, final segment of this hour. Thanks to Mark Schofield of SB Nation joining us in the last segment. If you're only joining us on the app, you can always rewind that and hear his thoughts on anything Bills around the league and, of course, some of the college quarterbacks that are going to be coming out this season. So we had a nice, good, long chat with Mark. And the Sabres take on the Islanders today, and if anyone likes sucking the fun out of hockey apparently it's new york teams so thanks nyc really appreciate you guys deciding that you don't like fun you don't like goals and you don't like speed i mean so- at least we know that about the islanders it was a surprise to see the rangers do it. exactly <laughs> i was very shocked to see that the rangers were going to go ahead and, and pull the 131 out there but then again Peter Laviolette is not a good hockey coach, so I guess it makes some sense. I think I think in the contrast of it being game
0: one and all you really have is preseason film, and last year for strategy-wise, I think in terms of, you know, if you're going to come into a game, you're going to get a lead that early, and you're just going to shut it down like that, I mean, probably something that can work for one game. Early in the year. Yeah. I don't know if that's a thing you can do in today's NHL when teams figure out how to forecheck against it and all of that. That's why I'm not too concerned about this coming back into hockey or anything. It's really only a couple teams that use it. It's been the Islanders since they had Lou Lamorello as their GM. Uh, but ultimately, I don't know. It's like it's a thing I have to worry about maybe one to two times a year, hopefully, not three because of the Rangers. But they're the type of team that can run a defense like that because they have Shesterkin in that who can just sort of buoy
1: them from there. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you have Shesterkin. Like right. you don't exactly. need the 1 3 1 to buoy anything. You exactly. have defensive players like Jacob Truba, Adam Fox, Kayandre Miller. Like you have a skilled defensive backcourt. Why are you doing this? And the answer in it's because they're old. <laughs> it, no, it, they're K. Miller is not old. Knox well, is not old. Like those two are linchpins of a young defensive core. Sure, they have talent up and down the lineup that ranges with age from vets like Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, and Mika Zibanejad to young players like Philip Cheadle, Renier, if he actually will step up. I'm not even going to bother with Kapakako because he doesn't bother to show up on score sheets, but. They still have a mix of vets and young players that is a very healthy combination. You don't need to be doing the 1-3-1 unless your name is Peter Laviolette and you are a punk. (laughs) Because that is what runs a 1-3-1 is a punk. I get when it was invented by Jacques Lemaire and everything like that. Like how it really gained its traction with the Devils and the trap game within the 90s. You don't need to run it now. You don't. You're just scared. You're scared of goals happening and asking your talented players to use their talent. You're just a curmudgeon and a punk. Stop running the 1-3-1. Let's make hockey have goals. Please. I do not want anything more to do with boring. And it really says something that the most exciting that the Sabres looked in that game was when it was 4-on-4. Four four. Yes, it was a bozo call for uh, for Jordan Greenway to be sent to the box with that cross-check early in the game. But the minute that that ice opened up, the Sabres were flourishing. And probably one of my favorite plays from that entire night was during that 4-on-4 four four sequence where Jeff Skinner fakes a pass, he freezes the defenseman, forces a screenshot between the defender's legs, and makes Shesterkin have to make an amazing save in order for things to... Uh, stay the same and stay deadlocked in that moment. But unfortunately, the Rangers get themselves the early lead. Then they can ride the boring 1-3-1 one, one to the rest of it. But now comes the main question. What do you do about it? Because teams are going to go ahead and give this to you if you struggle. The Sabres, even through bits of last year, did not do well with this system. The 4-check has to be better. And getting a young player like Zach Benson, who is very aggressive with his forecheck. He is very hardworking. He's a guy that is 200-foot player. You're going to need more players to be able to show up and get that forecheck going. It just bothers me because if you have to be a dump-and-chase team all of a sudden, that means that's less time you have the puck, and that bothers me. It makes me salty. It makes me angry. I can admit when I'm salty. That's fine. That's a me problem. But hockey coaches... Like Guy Boucher, the Bond villain, truly bringing it back to modern era. Um, I need to sick Double O Seven on you, Guy. The it, tr- truly the
0: most Bond villain hockey coach of all time. Right? Just, 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 just looking at him, you're like, you, you were in a Bond movie, right? You're a guy. <laughs> I, you're a guy. I thought up in my head while I was reading this book,
1: and your name is Guy. Right? But he's just, but he's you're just French, a guy. So
0: you're, so you're
1: called Guy. Yeah. It's just how it works. But to me, he's just a guy that brought the one three one back and, and, and makes me salty. Now we're full circle. Now we're full circle. But we've got time now for you. 803-0551, 888-552-550. Bills taking on the Giants with a defense that is banged up to everything. Offensive issues with consistency. And the bogus Stefan Diggs narrative continuing to be revived almost on an every week basis at this point it's kind of like the Pat Kane Sabres rumors the cockroach that'll never go away what do you got for us give us a call or you can keep listening on to us no matter what sports talk Saturday rolls on here Derek Kramer TJ Luckman you're listening to WGR